0: Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Alrighty, today is the day the Lord has made. We are rejoicing. We are glad in it. For those of you who wanted to know a little bit more about that story that I just alluded to at the very end of my conversation with Adam Carrington. Okay, so here's the headline. Scientists make fresh bread out of 4,500-year-old Egyptian yeast. Now, it sounds like the beginning of a bad joke. When a physicist, an Egyptologist, and a beer brewer get together, like, right, what happens? What happens? Well, they, um, they extracted from this ancient Egyptian pottery yeast, yeast that is 4,500 years old. And so um, they really, uh, I think that they started this as a, um, you know, like a bit of a science experiment. Actually, the guy who created the Xbox is behind this. He apparently also bakes for fun and is an Egyptologist. So there you go. There's a guy that's never bored. Um, and he was granted permission from the Peabody Essex Museum and the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston to access these 4,500-year-old Egyptian pieces of pottery, these vessels that were used to make bread. And so he combined his two strengths of baking and his knowledge of Egypt to uh, make bread that's as old as the pottery, and he recruited this guy who's an archaeologist and also an ancient brewing expert, again, You don't you don't necessarily think those two things are going to are going to come together in one person um, who's a doctoral candidate of microbiology at the University of Iowa to help him in his quest. And they um, they injected this nutrient solution into the ceramics to reawaken the dormant yeast and then turned them into a yeasty liquid, um, not damaging the ceramics and allowing them to easily be extracted. And then, of course, you know, the yeast did what yeast does. And uh, they baked this bread. It's beautiful bread. Uh, I don't know about you. I I like this story. I feel like um, this is a story that we can not only tell, but we can celebrate. And then we can turn to stories like the walk to Emmaus and we can say to ourselves, aha, how could Christ be made known to others in the breaking of this bread? Um, you know, what, what kind of stories do we have? What does it take people back to when we break bread together with them? What would taking people back to the story of... Um, of the Hebrew children who fled, right, not allowing their yeast to rise, right, like take unleavened bread with you, you don't have time to let that let that bread rise, um, take the unleavened bread. What are those stories that we know from the scriptures of the old and New Testaments about bread leavened and unleavened, uh, about the body of Christ broken for you and I, which Christ likens unto a loaf of bread at the Last Supper, How does it take people back? So use what um, use what God offers in the contemporary headlines of the day, and and draw people into a conversation about things that matter eternally. Um, so we're gonna have a conversation up next with Jill Savage. Her newest book, Empty Nest, Full Life, Discovering God's Best for Your Next. If you are an empty nester, if you are packing up kids for college, uh, maybe you have reached the stage of life where kids are finally moving out of the house and you are frankly relieved. Um, we There's a new season coming. What are you going to do during your encore? And how do we sort of need to reorient ourselves to not only who we are, but what God has for us? When we are beyond the stage of life when we're actually actively raising kids in the home. That's the conversation that's up next with Jill Savage. So Jill Savage, uh, she's an author. She's an empty nester herself. You can find her at jillsavage.org. She's obviously on Twitter at Jill Savage. She's also on Facebook at jillsavage.author. Um, Jill, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Well, thank you. It's good to be with you. Well, it's great to have you with us today. So the empty nest stage of life, um, when we think of even just the word empty, right? When we think of the word, that's... This is, a, this is a nest that is different. So I think what you're talking about is like how to re our nest maybe. But the, the stage of life that we're talking about is the empty nest stage. So why don't we start with this? What, do you, what observations do you make about the transition, the pivot, the reorientation that necessarily must take place at this stage of life?
1: Well, I think that uh, probably the biggest thing for a mom – is uh, really learning to let go of things that she's been doing for 18 plus years. And that's probably one of the hardest things that moms face is because we've had this job and we're good at this job. And suddenly our kids don't need us for that job. They need us for a different way of doing that job. And I think that's really hard for us as moms to really make that mental switch And um, and and to deal with it, because while we you know, there are some things that we look forward to at the same time, there's a lot of loss with the emptiness, but there's incredible gain. So it's also the up and downs of the emotions.
0: So I like the way uh, this is described here. It's happening. You weren't always sure you'd ever get here, but the kids did grow up and you did survive more or less successfully. But what now? That's really the 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 point in time to which this book speaks. And again, the book is Empty Nest, Full Life, Discovering God's Best for Your Next. The author is Jill Savage. Um, Jill, when you when you think about the purpose of being a mom, mm-hmm. beyond sort of the basics of raising a kid, which is not, I mean, no, that in itself is unique and astronomical and really hard to even get our hearts and minds around. But we do feel like we arrive at a stage where, you know, they're pretty well baked. And and <laughs> then you know, right? And then what? I think that's the that is the point at which every mom arrives and the question that every mom asks, why right. is it important to answer it, you know, as a person of faith? Right.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. Um my book, uh, Emptiness Full Life came out of a Uh, a season where I was feeling really, so it's interesting. We became empty nesters uh, during the Christmas season a couple of years ago. And I ran, I went right into the empty nest going, Oh, I like this. My husband and I had a full schedule that spring. I was loving it. And then all of a sudden, uh, let's see, it was August that hit and, Everybody was talking about taking their kids back to college and everybody was talking about, you know, what I'm talking about in my friendship circles online, they were talking about back to school specials and all of a sudden it hit me. (gasps) Oh my gosh, I'm never going to do that again. And here I was really rocking the empty nest and, and the tsunami of emotion came over me. And, um, I was, I was in the book of Ecclesiastes and I was reading the, um, where, uh, there's a season for everything verses, cause I was like, you know, I, 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 I knew that I kind of, that's what I was going through and I walked in and I, I, uh, uh, open to chapter three and I'm reading through and I get to chapter six and it sa- or verse six and it says there is a right time to hold on and another to let go and all of a sudden I'm like whoa, whoa 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 I need to know what to let go of but I also need to know what to grab hold of and you're right so the first half of the book talks about What do we need to let go of, especially in relation to our uh, now adult children? And then what do we need to grab hold of? Because the nest is empty, but the possibilities are in front of us. So we have to grab hold of our new or renewed passions. We have to grab hold of our new mission field, which may be right in front of us and we didn't even recognize it. Um, We have to grab hold of um, new friendships or maybe renewed friendships that we haven't had as much time for We have to grab hold of our marriage if we're married. So those are the things that are the possibilities in front of us.
0: So my conversation partner is Jill Savage. The book is Empty Nest, Full Life. When we come back, we're going to talk about letting go, the things we have to let go of, expectations, guilt, opinions, traditions, your child's problems, idols, And we're also going to talk about what we need to grab hold of, the new mission field, new passions, new friendships or renewed friendships, our marriage, God's hand, and ultimately your encore. We're going to talk about that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Returning to my conversation with Jill Savage about her new book, Empty Nest, Full Life, Discovering God's Best for Your Next. You can find her at jillsavage.org. Jill, let's uh, let's walk through some of these. So I think expectations is a hard one, um, and it's where you start. How do I let go of expectations as a mom facing an empty nest?
1: Well, first, I think we have to recognize that they're there. And we may not even realize that they are there, that they're right in front of us. So, for instance, we need to let go of expecting our kids' priorities to be the same as ours. And, you know, for 18 years, you imposed your priorities upon them. But now they get to choose those things. And so those are the kind of things we have to stop expecting. We have to stop expecting our kids to um, want to communicate as much as we want to communicate and or they even communicate the same way their brother or sister communicates. So those are the little expectations that sneak in there, and without realizing it, they cause us to be um, uh, unhappy with our child. They cause us to be frustrated. Um, and if we can actually begin to free ourselves from those, and 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 to do the um, you know the self talk that says, all right. Uh, Lord, help me. This child is very different from his brother. He's not going to communicate with me daily and I have to be okay with that. Can I trust that they are in your hands? Those are the kind of things we're talking about with
0: expectations. So um, I think that when my sister and I as adults have talked about maybe what was most challenging for our own mom, um, that was the hardest one but there are others on the list. Um, When we get to the end of the list of things we have to let go of, what, what are we talking about when we talk about idols?
1: Well, with idols, one of the things that we don't realize is, particularly with our children, our kids have been our everything for most of us moms. Even if you've worked outside the home, your kids are usually at the top of your priority list. And without realizing it, we often... Make their choices an idol, and so if they're doing well, then we feel good about ourselves and if they make poor choices, we feel bad about ourselves and that carries on into adulthood it's a lot of pressure to put on a kid, and we're we're um, making the focus the wrong thing we're worshiping the wrong thing when we make their behavior an idol to us, and um, there are some probably listening who um, feel that from their parents that if they make a decision that their parent disagrees with, then they they get the the silent game um, and that's when there's an idol in in our heart as a parent, and that is a place that we have got to let go because it robs our relationship of the the joy. And, um the intimacy that we can have with our young adult kids,
0: hmm. all right, so let's um let's make the transition from the letting go list to the grabbing hold list because I think this is the really provocative part in terms of like what's next, like getting me excited mm-hmm. about living as a woman of faith and a woman of God in the what's next phase beyond the, you know, beyond a full nest. So I don't know what in that list, grabbing hold of a new mission field, new passions, new friendships, marriage, God's hand, or the encore, which one do you want to delve into?
1: Um, probably the new mission field, because I think that a lot of times we don't see what's sitting right in front of us. And I think that that is really, really important. So the, um, this is based upon um, the the verse that I absolutely love in um, in the book of Isaiah, and this is from the message version. It's Isaiah 43, 19. Be alert. Be present. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? And that's really what is um, at the core of your new mission field. And it comes down to this question. Who needs you? who around you needs you and if your first question is nobody if or excuse me if your first answer is nobody you're not seeing it there are neighbors that need you there are neighbor kids that need you there are children at church that need you there are your some of your child's friends growing up may still need you and so there are so many that need you and we have to begin to see that um, that mission field that is around us. Even aging parents. You know, oftentimes we get into the emptiness season of life and aging parents need us. That's that's what's going on for me right now. Um, my father is 85. He lives two and a half hours from me. And so I am making many trips uh, to his home, to be with my parents, to love on him. That is my current mission field in this season of my life and to be able to see it as a mission field really makes a difference in how we approach it how we feel about it and to recognize no this is what I'm called to in this season
0: so as you're saying that you know i'm I'm reminded uh, Jill of of like we get to the place where you know we don't have an elementary school classroom that we have to buy supplies for anymore but we certainly could we could go yes. to staples or walmart we could grab that that back to school list pick pick the grade level that you enjoyed most whatever when your kids were little fill up the cart And then take it to a local elementary school and drop it off. Like if you really like miss first day of school because your kids aren't little anymore, you can still participate by being a really good neighbor and and buying those supplies because I guarantee you there's kids showing up today without what they need. And you can so you can even be this like invisible good neighbor. Um, if, you know, if you, if it's a little scary the first time to just get out there and say, gosh, I, I'm I'm ready, I'm ready for a new stage, I'm ready to engage the new mission field, you can even do it, you know, there are, there are some quiet ways to do it. You could serve your, your church in the same way by being the person that, you know, there's all kinds of ways, I guess, that you and I are both acknowledging people can get out of the nest and yes. into the world. And find new ways for God to use them in all the ways he's already cultivated in their life.
1: So true. You know, I once heard a story of someone, they had lost a baby and their neighbor uh, knew that they had lost a baby and they knew the day of the week that that baby had passed away. And Mm. every month they would lay a, a rose on the porch of that neighbor for a month on the date of the month that that family had lost a baby. And all that was doing was saying, I see you. I know. I know today is hard. That's the kind of stuff that's around us all the time. And and there are mission opportunities everywhere.
0: I just love it. So the book is Empty Nest, Full Life, Discovering God's Best for Your Next. Um, I think that one of the things I most enjoyed about this is the um, the encouragement uh, to develop new friendships or renew friendships that might have languished in the time that we were at home raising kids. Um, and I will say that, Jill, you know, for me at this age and stage, like it's hard. It's hard to strike mm-hmm. out and start initiate a new friendship. But I think that you've really um, you've encouraged me to do that in particular. And I hope that uh, that's a that's a big encouragement to others as well.
1: Yeah, it's important. And I think one of the things that's hard about the empty nest is oftentimes we had, I call it in the book, bleacher butt friends, because Mm -hmm. we sat next to the same people at the ball games and we sat next to the same people. We saw them at the musical events. And so we developed a relationship with them, but it was based upon convenience. Now we may need to Um, You know, we may need to find a different type of friend. We may need to reach out to some of those people and make it a more intentional relationship um, because they're probably walking through the same things you are.
0: Well, that's exactly right. Jill Savage, thank you for walking with us into uh, and through this particular phase of, uh, of what life looks like for those with an empty nest. The book is Empty Nest, Full Life, Discovering God's Best for Your Next. The author is Jill Savage. You can find out all you need to know at jillsavage.org. Thanks so much for being with us today on Mornings with Carmen.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: We'll be right back. All right. So in in headline news, um, in terms of what's happening in real life um, in Hong Kong, uh, the protests continue. We've been talking about this now for nine weeks. Um, And today it has begun affecting the airport. All flights are grounded in Hong Kong. All departing flights have been canceled in Hong Kong. Thousands of demonstrators descended on the city's international airport uh, earlier uh, today, Monday. Uh, the police are not responding in ways that you and I would recognize as appropriate. Um, there, there's a small number of protesters that have been demonstrating at the airport all weekend, um, but the gathering of a massive number of people has then uh, provoked the police to shoot tear gas into the crowds, which has uh, begun thinning the crowds, but um, there, are, uh, there are still hundreds of people. Um, engaged in active protest we're going to talk about uh, this I think devolving is the world it's it, it, is the word uh, this devolving situation in Hong Kong uh, up next with David Aikman we'll be right back mom dad trying to empower your teen for a successful future I'm gonna surprise you with one of the keys hi I'm Mark Gregston with parenting today's teens One of the biggest mistakes I see parents making today is keeping their kids too busy with after-school activities. They've got no time left for a part-time job. And kids who get their first job after high school can hardly cope with simple disciplines. Nothing will teach a teen about life and making a livelihood more than punching the clock for a few hours each week. Flipping burgers, scooping ice cream, an hourly wage will reinforce invaluable skills like time management personal finance, and effective communication. It doesn't matter whether they need money or not, Mom and Dad. Let your teen get a job.
2: Want more help from Mark Gregston? Find books and other resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. My name is Bond, James Bond.
0: Returning to... uh... Talk with us today is Dr. David Aikman. He and I have been talking about what's going on in Hong Kong now for a number of weeks. And uh, David, as you and I enter into this conversation, let me just bring people up to speed. The airport in Hong Kong um, is closed in terms of uh, uh, in terms of departures. Apparently, there are still planes, some planes landing. However, when those passengers get off of those planes, they have no access to. Um, uh, to exchange money. They can't get their bags um, and there's nobody to pick them up and take them anywhere. So that is an interesting uh, situation and scenario as well. The, uh, the government of China is circulating state media footage of um, the People's Armed Police, which is a paramilitary group under the direct control of the Central Military Commission of, uh, of China, um, and they are holding exercises in the neighboring city of Sichuan, right next to where um, the the airport is. And so there's definitely um, it's just it's a mess. It's a mess. I don't. I mean that the they've paralyzed the airport, and the protesters have no plan. So I don't. I don't see this. I don't see this going well.
2: Yes, it it doesn't look promising at all. And the fact that the Chinese military is holding very conspicuous demonstrations of crowd control and uh, suppressing rioting and suppressing demonstrations is a very discouraging sign because it all points to the fact that sooner or later, and probably sooner, the Chinese Communist Party will crack down as thoroughly as they did. In 1989, after the democracy movement in Tiananmen Square, so it's basically many people think it's only a question of time.
0: So, David, um, what I mean, what happens then? Because I, you know, I view the people of Hong Kong as you know far more Western than they are uh, Chinese. Um, they're far more you know British in terms of their understanding of. We've talked about this before, but their understanding of justice, their understanding of um, uh, of the way ideas work and individual freedom works. They're far more Western than they are Chinese in terms of their worldview. So, I mean, is this is this the makings of revolution or are the people of Hong Kong even in any position to do that?
2: Well, they, the, the only thing they are in a position to do is demonstrate peacefully, and that may not last very long, because I suspect if there is a violent crackdown, um, and probably one of the criteria of whether there will be a violent crackdown or not is whether there are any protest movements in big cities throughout China. So. Unless there are, I don't think there necessarily will be an immediate crackdown. But nevertheless, the people of Hong Kong overwhelmingly dislike this one party, uh, no election system that has been imposed upon them since 1997. And they definitely want some kind of continuation of civic freedom that they've had for the last 20-something years
0: so we um we here in the united states have uh you know an ongoing uh rising tensions with china as well related to tariffs related to economic policy related to monetary policy um we're beginning to see the chinese suggest that the that somehow the u.s is behind these protests in hong kong just curious what you make of all of that
2: well of course that's typical uh The Chinese claimed that the United States was behind the democracy movement in Beijing 30 years ago, but nothing of the sort took place. It was entirely uh, internally internally created by ordinary Chinese people, many of whom had never been to the West and didn't really think about the Western political systems, especially the American one. the Chinese Communist Party is determined to label everything that opposes it as foreign and dangerous and probably American. and so they're not going to stop labeling the United States as the chief source of evil in the whole world. And this is it's important for Americans to realize that Xi Jinping, the head of the Chinese Communist Party, harks back to a worldview that is called qianxia in Chinese. That means literally under heaven. It used to be the Chinese worldview that the only legitimate sovereign state in the world was China, and China was the civilization that was destined to rule the world, and any opposing view was completely heterodox. That's precisely what the Communist Party position now is. So they regard any opposition as something completely alien to their role as an independent nation state.
0: All right. I don't think people know that. Like what you just shared um, in terms of the Chinese worldview, and it's, you know, it's since that it's the only legitimate state or destined to rule the world, like I think we talk about uh, Chinese imperialism, but we don't think of Chinese communism as Chinese imperialism. And basically, what you're saying is, it's just a new version of the same old thing. Can you, when you, when you say Chen Chen Chua, is that what you said? Can you spell that for us so we can Google it?
2: Yeah, it's T it's I A N, and the next word is X I A, and it's pronounced Chen Xia. And the sha is not quite the same as the English sh. It's not like the Xi, although Xi Jinping is a little like the Xi. but it's curling the tongue at the back, so you you have a sort of a hint of an h, and you get a Sha sound. I'm sorry. I hope it hope it's not. No, too that's perfect.
0: No, that's perfect. That's it has I a wiki. Like it. It, you're exactly you. You have uh, you have explained it perfectly, and it has a Wikipedia page. So um, I'm going to do a little research on this while we're taking a break. Tian Shah, T i a n x i a. More with David Aikman okay. in just a minute. We're going to pivot to India, Pakistan, and Kashmir. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Dr. David Aikman, Godspeed Magazine. Um, David, let's pivot to India, Pakistan, Kashmir. I'm just going to lead with that and let you lay the groundwork for this conversation.
2: Okay. All right. Well, the issue really is whether Kashmir is an autonomous state Um in the sense that part of it is controlled by Pakistan and part by India. Now, after the partition of India in 1949, sorry, 1947, when the UK ceased to have control of India and India was divided up into um, an Islamic state, which became Pakistan, and an Indian state with a majority of Hindus in the population, which was called India. The agreement was that Kashmir, would, which had previously been owned by uh, an Indian chieftain, would be under Indian sovereignty, but it would be autonomous in the sense that Indians would not have the same control over the country over Kashmir that they had over the other Indian states. And the difficulty was that the Indian government, under the control of Prime Minister Modi, who is basically a Hindu nationalist, introduced a law which said that the principles of autonomy for Kashmir were going to be cancelled. and. Indians from other parts of India would be able to settle in the location, which they had previously got, not allowed to do. And that, of course, struck deep chords of nationalist resentment amongst the Muslim majority of the Kashmir population. And the Indian government had to send a special relay of troops to keep everything quiet in the face of the prospect of serious demonstrations. And subsequently, or subsequently, the Pakistani government said that it would raise the issue of the United Nations because they regarded this as a wholesale uh, destruction of a basic agreement between India and Pakistan that had been signed. You know, all those years, all those decades ago, and they absolutely don't accept the, the the new status quo.
0: So, David, I always think it's helpful when we're talking about something that's happening like literally halfway around the world. Um, most Americans do not think very often nor very much about India. We might think more often about Pakistan because we at least have heard it in the news in the last you know, decade or so in relationship to terrorism. Um, but we don't often think about the worldview of the people who live in the second most populous nation in the world, right? We're, I mean, India is uh, – there's a lot of people living in India, and it's overwhelmingly majority Hindu – And nationalism, Hindu nationalism, has been certainly on the rise there. We talk about it in relationship to Christian persecution, but we're now talking about um, uh, uh, a place, Kashmir, that is dominantly Muslim, which is why it maybe is a better fit for Pakistan than it is for India. But this is where the worldview conversation, I think, really bears in.
2: That's right. I mean um, uh, – Modi, the Prime Minister of India, is a pronounced Hindu nationalist and he has wanted to impose Hindu nationalist religious activities, education and symbols throughout the country. And the new move to basically rescind uh, Kashmir's autonomy is a serious threat to Muslims in uh, in India. And they obviously resent that greatly. So it's going to be interesting to see whether he can withstand the Pakistani pushback and come to an equilibrium between the two countries where Kashmir continues to have a somewhat high degree of autonomy.
0: David, have um, have you been to this part of the world?
2: I've been to India several times. I've been to Pakistan also. I have not been to Kashmir, which is one of my great regrets because apparently Kashmir is absolutely beautiful. It's sort of Switzerland in the, in the Himalayas. It's just a gorgeous area. And everybody, all of my friends who've been there, say that there's no place like it on Earth. So no wonder the Pakistanis are very resentful
0: of what India is doing so um you know as as always, you give us a perspective that many of us don't have because you've you know you've been to the geography, and so even though you haven't been specifically to Kashmir, you've been to India and you've been to Pakistan. I'm wondering as you juxtapose those two uh nations in your mind. Are there things that sort of rise up as, well, this is really distinctive? These are real differences that you experienced in those two different countries?
2: Well, obviously, the most important issue was the religious one, and especially in the case of Pakistan, because Pakistan is an Islamic state. It has an Islamic based constitution, an Islamic legal system, and most of its inhabitants are very devout muslims and more important than devout they are sharia adherent muslims therefore they believe that sharia the religious law of islam should prevail not just in their own country but ultimately all over the world and that is very threatening to the indians not simply because the indians are majority hindu but because the indian constitution has basically been a secular constitution, um, and until Modi came became prime minister, um, there was quite a lot of religious freedom for minority groups, including Christians. But that has really changed under the Hindu nationalist government of Mahendra Modi since he came into office.
0: I think that when we when we look at um international affairs, international relationships, and we remind ourselves that underneath all of these conversations, there are these deep worldview—conversations of deep worldview significance and these religious layers that um, that are informing the people of these places as well as their governments. It's just—it's so helpful to um, to have someone like you with whom we can talk about these things, and you you just really help us better understand what's happening globally— Um, not just because you've been there, but because you see the worldview uh, and particularly the religious uh, implications. So thank you again so much, David Aikman, as always, for being with us on Uh, Mornings with Carmen.
2: Thank you so much for having me on, Carmen. Have a wonderful week.
0: Have a most blessed week, and we're glad the power's back on.
2: (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs)
0: Absolutely. All right, I got to take one more quick break, and then we'll be back. All right. I want to walk off with a really good news story of the day and just to remind uh, everybody out there that what you do in the life of a child um, is significant in ways that you may never um, get to know. But in this case, retiring Tennessee FBI agent found out uh, at his retirement ceremony sort of the end of the story or the development of a story that actually took place in 1997. So Agent Troy uh, Sowers was working in Washington State in 1997 when a child, an infant, was kidnapped from the hospital, actually from the hospital room of his mother. And uh, he ended his career in Knoxville, Tennessee, just this past weekend. Uh, and at his retirement ceremony, that um, that boy surprised him. And he's now a Marine, a U.S. Marine. Um, and so that infant whom this FBI agent... Uh, tracked down and rescued uh, following this kidnapping 20 years ago, is now serving among America's finest in, uh, in the Marine Corps. And so uh, that's a great gift at retirement. Um, and so just just be mindful that what you do in the life of another person today, um, God may use in ways not only to bless that individual and his or her family, but use in ways to bless us all down the road. Uh, and so invest today in the life of a child. That's going to be my, um, my encouragement and walk off today. Maybe that's doing something at your local school. Maybe it's doing something for your neighbor in your neighborhood or at your church. Um, but find a family with a kid or find a kid without a family uh, and serve them today in the spirit of Christ. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.